Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with John Helmer, fellow L&D podcast host about great minds on learning. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. John, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, well, first of all, John, congratulations on the success of your podcasts um, for uh, for the listeners' benefit. This is the Learning Hack and Great Minds on Learning, uh, the second with Donald Clark. Uh, two very different podcasts. Uh, I wonder, uh, what, what was your intention with each? Uh, the Learning Hack was, uh, I just wanted to interview people in the uh, industry and the profession who just seemed to be really important for the for, for the development of it one way or another and and to to cast the net as widely as possible uh, it came out of my experience of kind of putting magazines together and things and, and just enjoying finding out what people are up to basically mm. great minds on learning was was very different uh the genesis of that was was really about my relationship with donald donald clark uh, who is, uh, if you haven't heard, Great Minds on Learning, he, he is enormously knowledgeable uh, about the history of learning theory. He's read everything. Um, it's quite hard for people to have arguments with him because he's, he has literally <laughs> read everything um, and, and has quite a, 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 a robust approach to um, debate, let's mm-hmm. say. Um, so I, I, I knew Donald. I knew he'd done uh, uh, this series of blog posts about learning theory that was really enormously wide-ranging in scope, you know, from, as we say, from the Greeks to the geeks. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen him do it as uh, uh, a, a talk on YouTube at, at a conference, which was sort of, you know, um, two and a half thousand years of learning theory in 20 minutes. Well, it's about an hour. You know, I booked Donald for a conference and you can't put him on for 20 minutes, it's always an hour. Um, but he kind of scoots through the whole lot, which I thought was really impressive. So I, I, I knew here was this kind of depth of content in all the blogs, but then also the ability to to summarize. And quite importantly, he takes a view. Um, and, and for reasons I think we'll get into later, I'll, I'll say why I think that, mm-hmm. that that's quite important. Um, so really, it was just fortuitous. I'd, I'd had him on the Learning Hack podcast a couple of times as an interviewee. Um, he was constantly drawing my attention to things that'd be good to have on the, the podcast. And I thought, well, I can't have him on again because he, it, it just because the regular thing. So why don't we start another one and then let's use as the focus, the, the great minds on learning blogs. And I came up with a title um, because I conceived it as a part work, um, you know, rather old, old, old skewer morph in a way, what we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier before we started recording. It, 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 as part work in the old days, you'd have these magazines you'd subscribe to and they would send you. And, you know, that, that, that kind of, you build up month by month, issue by issue to uh, a learning resource. And I thought, kind of at the back of my mind, this would be a learning resource. Mm. Um, it, it was opportunistic, I have to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, not just blowing smoke, John. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of both podcasts. Uh, great minds on learning. I think is uh, uh, is a real credit to the profession. And uh, you're you're right with uh, with Donald. And one one um, aspect I think that he brings to it, which can't be understated, 
is that he it, you've not gone through uh, the, the the history of learning theory in chronolog in just chronological order. What he's so good at is drawing links between the classics and um, uh, modern theory. For example, uh, and having just listened to uh, uh, one of the latest episodes on the metaverse, he makes a, a link between the metaverse and Descartes, um, yeah. talking about how virtual worlds have been in existence for hundreds, if not thousands of years, uh, including going back to uh, to the early days of, of religion as well. And I think he makes it easy for the listener, um, uh, as you both do, uh, to make those connections in the context of what learning and development priorities are today, rather than it be an academic exercise for a learning geek to become as uh, perhaps as knowledgeable or, or, or on the path to a to as knowledgeable as uh, as Donald or uh, uh, another sage would be. Mm. Yeah, it's also a slightly pragmatic thing to do that. You know, as producer of the series, you, you look at it and think, well, if we do this in chronological order, uh, we'll start off with uh, Plato and we'll be kind of crawling towards the Enlightenment by the end of the first <laughs> season. And people will be, you know, thinking this is kind of slightly ancient history. Mm. Um, so we decided we would have various origin stories we'd call them like the greeks and the enlightenment but these would be kind of sprinkled around per season and we could make those links as you say forward and backwards in in, in time i think as you move through the seasons that the links begin to you, you begin to get more of a sense of a map of what's mm -hmm. going on I, but I, I don't think it it would have helped anyone just to do it purely chronologically yeah um, now, in terms of roles on the uh, on the podcast, if we concentrate on great minds on uh, on learning, Donald's clearly the expert, as we'd said, and and it seems that you represent the learner, and that, I suppose that's one of your roles. You've already said there that as the producer, you're you're looking to to create an appealing and coherent um, listening experience for uh, uh, for for the audience as well. So, but can I ask, um, in your in you representing the learner, what did you learn yourself from standing in the shoes of the L and D listener? Well, it's ongoing. I mean, you know, this is lifelong learning. I would say, yeah, I, I'm the learner. I, I kind of initially thought of myself as the barometer of general ignorance, you know. Um, and if, if anybody watches that program, QI, um, as Alan, what's his name? Is the, Alan Davis. Yes, as against Stephen Fry, who, you know, ostensibly knows everything off Sandy Totsvig or whoever's chairing it now. Um, so that I could kind of ground Donald slightly. And I mean, the, the this is something that comes up as part of learning theory is that, you know, you don't know, an expert who knows everything doesn't know what they don't know, mm. finds it very difficult in a way to engage with um, people who know a lot less because there is a kind of a thing going on in, in the mind of an expert that, that seals off their access to the state when they knew less. Mm. Well, and this is why, um, struggling to remember the theorist, I think it's Rich Clark, uh, says that S working with SMEs, that's right. Particularly, you have to interview several. You can't just interview one because they'll say, "Well, this is what they need to know about the subject," and they'll leave out a whole mass of stuff which has become so embedded and automatized in their own practice. This is a, a facet, of, you know, the cognitive um, side of learning that they no longer even notice it. Mm. You know, it, it, it's like, you know, do you have to? tell yourself how to make a cup of coffee no you don't so if if you're kind of trying to tell an alien who's come to earth how to live uh in a house on earth you might forget to tell them how to make a cup of coffee without pouring the kettle all, all, all over them and scalding them 
themselves, their poor alien flesh. Sorry, I'm going off on, on one a bit here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the expert has difficulty unpacking. So my job is to help Donald unpack. Um, I also bring areas of kind of biography, which I'm very interested in. Dates, uh, people's birth dates and so on, and where they studied, I'm interested in, because I, w- I like to look, locate them geographically and in time for the, for the help of the listeners. So we can begin to build up a map over, over the whole thing. And, it, and it's just, it's helped me enormously. I mean, for instance, just one instance on that, Marshall McLuhan, um, I'd, I'd grown up knowing that name. Uh, he was, you know, a theorist of media in the States. I thought of him very much as a 60s person. Mm-hmm. Um, the medium is the message, all that stuff, you know, the explosion of media and advertising and television and, and all the rest of it. Um, I found out from doing the research for this that he was actually a contemporary of Evelyn Wars um, and that generation of 1930s writers and, and intellectuals um, and, and was at Oxford during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would have known that, that kind of that generation of spies like Anthony Blunt and so on who, who went through that Oxbridge experience. And that just completely changed my view of him and, and the way he thought about things. So, I mean, I think that's an example of kind of what I bring to it. I'm slightly rambling about that, but um, it, it was all pretty important in the way we formulated the, the relationship and the interviews. Mm. And I, from what I, I understand, it's uh, uh, you've been describing uh, educated incapacity when you know so much about something that you yeah. you find it difficult to empathise with those who uh, uh, who are, are much earlier on in the journey. And yes, it was uh, Dr. Richard Clark right on, uh, on the Learning and Development podcast yeah. uh, in, uh, in a conversation about uh, cognitive task analysis. And in, um, and in his research, discovered that, that um, your master performers cannot know up to 70% of what it takes to, to successfully accomplish okay. their tasks, which is, yeah. which is a huge amount. So, uh, so it's an honorable role that you're playing in, uh, in helping uh, uh, Donald to, to unpack some of his 70%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, so looking at look, looking at you in your in your role in the podcast, then uh, I'd love to know what your perception of the uh, the, the learning and development profession is and was, uh, and how this has changed episode to episode. And the reason I ask is that um, I speak with a lot of L and D practitioners who've learnt what the role is from the classroom classroom outwards, and the classroom is just such a tiny part of not only the practice within that learning and development, but the potential of learning and development. And so people's um, experience is shaped from uh, from a microcosm of, uh, of it. But I wonder um, from episode to episode, listening to Donald, how your perception of the profession has been shaped and grown. I think I've had a growing sense of how difficult the job is. Um, one example, just to focus on the most recent episode on evolutionary psychology that we've recorded but haven't yet released, mm. is the discovery that our brains evolved to do a very different type of job to the one we call on them to do today. Mm. So a lot of learning is is actually unlearning because we have you know we have the primitive brain um, that was uh, you know that was evolved so that you could be a hunter gatherer and go out and kill animals and um, and find honey in the treetops and all the rest of it. Um, and on top of that sits this whole other evolved thing so that we actually have two brains. Um, uh, this feeds into the Kahneman stuff about thinking fast and slow, the reason why some things are hard to learn and others are easy, which is geary, I think, 
and also to our unconscious biases. You know, we, we have all these kind of knee-jerk biases and reactions to, to people and situations that come from, if you like, the reptile brain or the hunter-gatherer brain. Um, and those have to be overcome with reference to the, 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 the more developed brain that sits on, on top of that. Um, I can see that somebody who's trying to do the learning job for an organization who doesn't know about all this stuff um, and might be working with some maybe less authoritative type of model they picked up along the way, like, you know, God forbid, learning styles or, mm. you know, um, Bloom's taxonomy and so on, which, you know, partly useful. I mean, it, but if that's all you've got, you know, frankly, you're going to struggle because there, there is something going on with people who are trying to learn um, and the, the whole of the remit, what learning is within an organization that really depends on kind of the knowledge of why it's so difficult. Mm. But then again, if they've drunk the Kool-Aid, you know, say maybe you've got someone who's, who's got a master's in psychology and they know all this stuff, they're faced with working in an organization where people don't, most people don't know this stuff. I mean, you know, Kahneman has filtered through to a lot of different areas of, of, of you know, might have been on Forbes and of a business review that C-suite people might have read. But by and large, they're faced with working in an organization where most people don't know how this whole thing functions and have an old-fashioned, basically behaviorist idea about what training is. So they, your, your bloody L&D professional is going to struggle in that context because they know a load of stuff. Other people don't know this stuff and don't know what they don't know and wonder why this learning person is spouting on about reptile brains and so on. Um, the job of educating their sta stakeholders is going to be difficult. So, it, you know, I, th I, th I think too many people kind of run down L&D. Um, there, there is a, an inherent problem there that, you know, in first of all, in kind of getting their own knowledge up and, and then in communicating that knowledge to other people. Um, it's worth looking at the best CLOs and the way that they negotiate all that because there are some very impressed, impressive people in the profession. It seems that uh, that John, not only have you learned a great deal because I know that I have uh, by listening to uh, to your podcast. So, but I, I do want to you, you you've outlined there that uh, uh, that perhaps uh, learning and development uh, professionals don't know um, or aren't aware of as much of uh, of learning theory and science uh, as perhaps um, you'd you'd expect. Why do you think this is? Again, I don't want to really repeat a load of cliches about L&D here, but um, I think it is fair to say it's not a highly professional, professionalised discipline. Um, if you look at other professionals within organisations, such as lawyers, um, if you look at economists um, and, and so on, and marketing people as well, they, they these are subjects that you, you will study at, at university. I mean, it's worth saying that Perhaps the core discipline is psychology. Um, mm. Other people might argue with that, but it seems to me that that's a fairly important thing to have some engagement with if you're going to go into field of L&D. Uh, and that in itself, as we've discovered in Great Minds on Learning, it is not, it, it's quite a recent discipline. Um, I, was, I was shocked to learn that Daniel Kahneman, who I mentioned a couple of times, uh, won his Nobel Prize for economics, but really as a psychologist. There is no Nobel Prize for psychology. Mm. You know, it, it's quite a young science compared to sort of um, economics. Um, uh, people have respect for it, economists, which <laughs> 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 but, 
And increasingly, you know, we 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 kind of wonder why. But they 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 kind of fail to study where there is you know not that much predictability, as as Kahneman points out. Uh, they have to deal with uh, a, a body of knowledge which is highly contested. There are different schools. There's a lot of politics in it, and this is true if you look across things like law, even marketing. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk doesn't necessarily agree with uh, David Ogilvy or uh, Lester Wonderman or whatever other other authorities. So you know, the thing of, of getting educated in a professional discipline is dealing with the fact that people don't agree with each other. There are different. Um, there, there are different strands, different schools. You you might have to pick a side. Mm. You know, very often it is quite binary. You know, hopefully not. That is part of learning a professional discipline. That isn't necessarily appreciated with L and D. I don't think. Um, and when you begin to engage with all of this stuff, um, I, I, I think that becomes abundantly clear to you. You know. Yeah, I think that uh, I've I've seen plenty of that, John. Uh, that uh, that people entrenched in a camp. Uh, and I try to uh, to to uh, to raise rise conversations above uh, this this approach over that. I mean, the one I can't stand is uh, is face to face versus digital. Uh, I, I just think I just think it's um, uh, uh, oversimplified, uh, and we've got to appreciate that uh, that in some contexts, uh, digital can help you to get to places and times that be that face to face cannot. Uh, and there are times in which uh, uh, some some FaceTime, some uh, some one-on-one time uh, is hugely beneficial. Uh, but I think that uh, that quite a lot of the time we talk about uh, learning in a nebulous sense uh, and approaches in a nebulous sense, uh, sense without truly appreciating the context uh, and a modicum of analysis to truly understand what it is that we're um, we're truly trying to affect. I would consider myself uh, a pragmatic learning and development professional and leader. Uh, and I learned how to to get the right stuff done at Disney really quite well. Um, but uh, but whether that was uh, truly transferable and uh, aligned with learning theory could be questioned because we got we got what was required during uh, a, a a time of high disruption and transformation. And those those words are banded about uh, a great deal. But uh, but between 2006 and 2014, I don't think it can be understated that the relationship between consumer and brand uh, had to, had completely changed. Uh, Disney liked to be the master and uh, and saw the consumer as grateful for, for what they got. And I think that during that period, the consumer gained a great deal more power, as did retailers. And we've got to consider that not only was there a huge amount of digital disruption, uh, but there were there was economic disruption during that time as well, in which relationships changed forever. Uh, and my role in learning and development was helping uh, an organization that was becoming more aware of its new position, try to figure that out and establish new types of relationships with consumers uh, and retailers um, via new means uh, and, uh, and types of engagement. And uh, as you can imagine, not a lot of people left Disney. The average tenure in Italy during my time was 11 years. So, so, we, so development was absolutely critical. And what I discovered was that uh, that the tools of the trade that I'd developed over the previous decade or so uh, weren't doing me uh, particularly well when when I had to demonstrate actual results. And so that pragmatism and uh, and, and working with re- and uh, and developing relationships with key stakeholders, uh, iterating uh, solutions uh, and uh, holding myself and other stakeholders accountable for actual change stood me in great stead. 
Um, but uh, but so much of uh, of what I'd learned previously uh, about learning and training, uh, knowledge transfer, and all of that gubbins uh, was was largely redundant. Um, uh, I mean, what, well, I suppose where it did come in helpful was stakeholders still asked for it, so I had to come up with a, a good rationale as to why it wasn't going to be particularly helpful in this context. The one yeah. lent so heavily on mini accelerated apprenticeships. Uh, with stakeholders and subject matter experts and master performers uh, for the benefit of everyone else. And then when you also add in there that I had my hands tied behind the back because we had a clunky, horrible LMS full of generic content uh, that we we had to uh, justify the investment in by driving people towards it, regardless of whether it was helpful or not, um, you know, which, which, is, which is always a distraction of any learning and development uh, a person's role. So, so sometimes uh, you know the the reality and the, especially the context in which learning and development perform is is just cannot be um, uh, removed from a theoretical conversation. You know, when when you, and it's and it's never one thing or another. But what I always challenge learning and development folks on is uh, is how do you know that it works? And if you don't know that it works, does it work? Uh, and and then do less of the stuff that you don't know works, uh, and yeah. try to build your uh, your career and credibility on the stuff that does. Now I realise that that I've got a lot of rambling there, but I wonder uh, whether that that John in the in the grounded reality of uh, of a of a learning leader and a learning professional, how the uh, the theory that uh, that 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 you discuss with Donald uh, kind of wraps around it, or uh, or is the core, or or perhaps. Uh, supports and uh, uh, supplements in some way. Yeah, you're talking about the you know the kind of interplay of theory and practice within mm. professional discipline. And if I can kind of take a slightly sideways step, relate this to say marketing, which is mm. the professional discipline that you know I studied in business in. Um, when I was kind of advertising for or, or trying to recruit, say a, a marketing exec. You'd have someone who was straight out of college and they maybe studied marketing there. And they'd done all this stuff about the very high level marketing strategy, but they didn't know how to buy an email list. They didn't know how to, you know, put together a social media campaign. They had almost no kind of practical skills that they, they come from u- university from and so on. And very often they'd be slightly apologetic about this because you just have to tell them the absolute basis how to do this, you know. And, and I would say to them, look, it, that stuff, isn't much use to me right now, isn't much use to you right now. But as you progress in your career, you're going to find that you'll lean on it more and more. Um, and the obverse of this is people who just are naturally talented in that professional discipline. And you get it a lot with marketing people. Some people just are really good. They're good on their feet. They've got a presentation. They instinctively understand how, how to, to market to people. They, they'll progress quickly through a, a, a career. They, they'll, but they will come to a point where, they, where there's a stop because they think, well, I don't know any of the theatrical background to this. How do I put together a marketing strategy? As your approach, as you, you, you get more and more responsibility uh, for more and more people, you get to a level where you need to, to, to deploy you know, sort of strategic skills and the theoretical stuff. And at this point, if you've done a marketing degree like 10 years before, it's where you get your old books out and say, God, I've forgotten. How do you do a port of five forces analysis? You know, mm. How do I analyze this market we're in and work out what our positioning is going to be? And you lean back on the academic stuff. So, that, so there's a kind of constant pull-push. I mean, normally in business, you, know, you just have a practical objective you've got to go and run at. You might have four campaigns you've got to 
come out before Christmas, for instance. Um, and, and that's what you focus on and you, you kind of learn along the way. Um, it is so helpful, though, to have that stuff behind you. And, and if you're, you're going to have a career as, as, as a professional and professional discipline that, that really involves having to know this stuff if you want to reach top level, if you don't want it to stop to your career, at some point you have to engage with the theory. I think in L&D, very often, because it's a less professionalized discipline, very often people are backfilling. Mm. And, you know, to be honest, that's one of the things that we thought when we'd set up Great Minds on Learning this is going to be helpful to people. And thus it's proved I'm constantly being told that, you know, we're doing a great service to the, to the, to the profession. Mm. Yeah. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't agree more by that. Yeah. Mm. I'd love to just, to, um, uh, linger on what you were discussing there about marketing. If, uh, uh, if I may, when I, when I, um, uh, I joined Disney in 2006, um, that the, the digital marketing team was just being established and it was two guys. Uh, by the time I left in 2014, as you could imagine, uh, you know, yourself working in marketing, uh, it yeah. was predominantly digital marketing. Uh, and so, so I saw right in front of me, um, uh, a profession that was, um, uh, was, was changing, was, was evolving. Uh, and uh, I had conversations there about developing a, a digital, uh, sorry, a, a marketing academy, uh, for, uh, for, for the UK, uh, team at, uh, Disney, because it changed so much. Now, it seems to me that, uh, that there are, um, uh, there is comparison between the the trajectory that that marketing uh, has made and learning and development. Um, personally, I think that uh, that that we're almost in the same game. Uh, if we if we recognise that that our role is to influence people uh, towards a, uh, desired outcomes, um, yeah. uh, uh, building or engendering brand loyalty along the way, not necessarily for consumers, but but for employment. Um, and you want to, to both educate people and get them to do the stuff that you intend them to do. When you, when you take a look, there's, there's quite a lot of, uh, of similarity. When you do apply a, a marketing and a digital marketing lens over learning and development, do you see the, uh, the similarities and do you see some things that were experienced and, uh, and happened in digital marketing that there is a reluctance to, to, to do in learning and development? Uh, it, it's interesting because I, you know, I've been in these discussions quite a bit before. But I mean, reflecting on it, I think Marcoms is the the you know the most kind of relevant thing to L and D because because you've moved out of the classroom, um, the the stuff has become digital media in mm. a lot of senses. So anything that helps you to use digital media uh, more powerfully and appropriately is going to help you. And Marcoms is, is great for that. You want to get people's attention. You want to engage their interests. You want to provoke desire in a sense. Mm -hmm. You want to get people into a state where they're, 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 they're really engaged with the stuff. So they want to then take action afterwards. And that's all kind of Marcoms. There's a whole other area of marketing where really it isn't as relevant. So I think people need to kind of be you know, clear about which bits of marketing you should take. Um, and, and you can kind of sum up that difference between, with the, the, the cliche, there is no buy button on a learning program. Mm. Um, we're not trying to sell people something. We're, you know, we're not using their worst instincts to try and get in their wallet, <laughs> which frankly and cynically, I suppose, is what marketing is about. We're, we're actually trying to make lives, people's lives better. Mm. Um, 
there's a whole lot of counterintuitive stuff involved in learning, which is sort of something we talk about in the learning theory that has to be to got round to to make learning work and to make it stick and transfer into performance. Uh, and I'd say knowledge of marketing is only partially helpful in doing the really important job. As far as it, you know, if you're, you're kind of you're working with digital media, I'd say the Markums bit is really relevant. Mm. Now, I've had uh, Miriam Needlin on there uh, on the Learning Development podcast. I think you've had her on there. You know, you hack as well. Um, we were talking about how L&D needs to learn from the theorists and influencers of the past and not keep reinventing their approaches. So yeah. I suppose my next question kind of uh, asks you to bridge between your two podcasts, uh, The Learning Hack and, uh, and Great Minds. Uh, to answer, to what extent do you think the, prof- the profession reinvents what's already gone and remains in stasis versus genuine progression? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to give an example here, here that's bang up to date and actually comes from Twitter, which is something I avoid. I avoid getting drawn into Twitter spats because, you know, just the, the, the sheer aggression and the, the kind of binary nature of the of the arguments I just don't find particularly congenial but I saw a really interesting interchange which wasn't an argument genuine discussion between two titans of the industry um, Nick Shackleton Jones and Guy Wallace just mm. just yesterday I think um, and Nick Shackleton Jones was saying that you know people keep denying when new things come up uh, because they're, they're kind of scared of newness scared of innovation and they keep trying to pretend they're not new and we've heard this all before and then Guy Wallace comes back with, yes, but there is this tendency to keep repackaging old stuff and try and flog it to you as new. And I, I, and he has a, an acronym for this, which I think is, I always get wrong, I think it's Woisner, W-O-I-S-N-A, was old, is new again. Um, and as, as a cynical old mar- marketing person um, over the last two decades, I have seen this coming up again and again. Things mm. will come back at you again and again because the profession has a short memory. Um, because it doesn't have a very entrenched professionalism and grounding in the theory and so on, it, it, things will come up again and again. So, you know, we'll probably see a relaunch of um, micro content in, in a couple of years' time. Um, you know, we had Second Life, people got excited about that, went away. Now we've got the metaverse. Mm. It, 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 it has actually moved on in some sense. I mean, it's hard to say about this because, because there are cynical marketing people operating in the space yeah. who just cynically repackage stuff and try and get a buzzword going. On the other hand, there are things we try. They don't work. So technology is not ready. They come back in five years' time. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Google Glasses will at one point, which, which is a notable failure of, the, of, of you know, the last decade, that will come back again You know, to have an HUD, a, a sort of heads-up display in the corner of your vision telling you who somebody is, what their, when their birthday is. And, and so will we'll, we'll be invaluable, but it works. Um, mm. So things do come back as a kind of circularity. And I'd like to say, you know, both Nick Shafton Jones and Guy Wallace, who, they're both right. Mm. They, you know, our job as um, learning professionals, as, as professionals in any field, is, is to disentangle what is valuable about the new, not to be scared of the new, not to be scared of the innovation and disruption it causes. But also to you know have a weather eye on, are people trying to scam me with this one and pull the wool over my eyes? Frankly, yeah, that's funny. I didn't see the spat actually, uh, but I will say that uh, that uh, that both Nick and Guy are, uh, are right up there with my my favourite people in uh, in learning and development. Yeah. And I and I think that uh, that 
um, that on on most things there would be they would be in agreement. Uh, but I think that that you're right. I think that there's this murky world in the middle. Uh, the guy's absolutely right that the groundwork's already been done uh, to a great degree. Um, he he often points um, uh, his followers in the direction of uh, of his mentors from the 1960s and 1970s, talking yeah, about yeah. Uh, performance oriented learning and development. Uh, the work on the analysis that uh, has already been uh, uh, has already been done. The research, uh, as you, you mentioned, I know that uh, that that he's uh, he's close with, uh, with with Dr. Richard Clark uh, and uh, and his work on cognitive task task analysis. So a lot of the time, the groundwork has been done. But I also see from Nick's perspective, which is in learning and development, and I think it's largely marketing either from vendors or hiring managers, that an emerging trend uh, uh, presents itself. And all too quickly, the marketing teams and the hiring managers usurp the term to describe what is already in existence. So, uh, so uh, an example of that could be uh, from hiring managers, learning experience uh, and learning experience designers uh, very quickly rebranded instructional designers saying, yep, we do that, bang. Uh, all yeah. of a sudden, the term is now meaningless or it's been sullied to such an extent that this this important uh, um, uh term a learning experience rather than uh say a, a learning program uh, has been muddied somehow and i think that learning the flow of work is another one absolutely yeah. destroyed by marketers who want to tell you that their generic content uh, plugged into the tools that people use for work is now learning in the flow of work whereas the understanding of the term uh, whether it be in the flow of work or workflow learning uh, was was the, the 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 highly contextual stuff that people actually need when they're doing the work so that they don't have to stop doing the work. And I think digital adoption platforms and the work of Sebastian Tindall, uh, you know, I've had him on this podcast and I've heard him on Michelle Ocker's Learning Uncut. Yeah. talks about true learning in the flow of work uh, to affect performance. But but that, again, the murky word world in the middle, when people stamp and say, look, and I've got nothing against LinkedIn learning, but when they say, oh, LinkedIn learning, this is learning the flow of work, and you think, ah, oh, it's absolutely not. And then you so so the training at the desk. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's exactly the same as e-learning, uh, but uh, but but high production uh, quality. Um, so so I see how um, when you know these guy and, and Nick seem like uh, opposite ends of uh, of a scale, but it, it's the it's the dirty murky world in the middle that I think um, uh, makes it difficult and uh, to uh, to to perhaps fully appreciate what's gone. Uh, and fully grasp what's uh, what's coming. There an understanding of marketing can help you out. I mean, if you understand that hashtags work in a certain way, certain way, and you know are a way of getting kind of currency for a term, and um, if you can get them with influencers using your hashtag, then that is going to give you kind of reach and clicks, and mm -hmm. and you get a pylon, and that moves very quickly. Then you have um, search engine optimization around particular terms. You know, particular words are very important for getting your website seen on Google. That actually moves a lot slower. So, you know, companies that, an example of the latter bit is companies that really don't want to describe themselves as e-learning companies anymore because that's an old-fashioned term. Find on their websites they have to because the SEO for that term is strong and, and embedded. So you've got all this kind of push-pull of newness and oldness. Um, and it's, it's about kind of understanding how, you know, I mean, people go on about algorithms endlessly, but but that those sort of mechanisms, which are fundamentally me marketing mechanisms, um, 
have an important part in the discourse, and, you know, something that we, we, we do, do well to use, but also to slightly be aware of. Mm, interesting, John. So, so, so it's not all for uh, uh, malicious purposes. Sometimes it's just uh, playing the game to make sure that you're, uh, you're seen uh, in, uh, in searches and conversations. All right, we'll let them off this time, John. Um, but as we as we look to uh, to wrap up, uh, this is this is the uh, I think it used to be the sixty four thousand dollar question, but I think they're worth a lot lot more now. Um, John, what should be our strategy in learning and development for learning about learning? I think you have to a bit of humility, I think, um, but also a bit of well, a lot of ambition. Uh, you know, you should be ambitious for your profession. Uh, I, th I think humility in that we shouldn't do that thing of, you know, jumping on the first thing we come across and saying, well, this is absolutely it. You know, thinking fast and slow, that's my thing. Mm -hmm. I've got to base everything around that because, you know, you're, uh, just around the corner is someone who's going to tell you that actually, no, that's, you're completely wrong about that. You're misapplying that. And so, and so other theorists said this and that theorist said that, and they, they disagree you've got to be careful about leaping on one thing. One thing isn't, you know, magic bullets or the rest of it. And be aware of the fact that, you know, a little learning is a dangerous thing. Um, drink deeply at the whatever it is, well or not at all, to, to quote Alexander Pope. Once you start on trying to learn about this stuff, then you have to be, really have to be heads in. You'll You'll pick up bits and pieces all the time from whatever you learn, but it's if you're at the beginning of this journey, it's probably going to be a while before you begin to really kind of get a map of the territory. And, and I have to say that I never expected when I started um, Great Minds on Learning that I was going to be on a learning journey. Um, I was sort of myself as a producer, helping other people to see what, to know what Donald knew. But it's been absolutely extraordinary the, the, the way that I find that I have been learning stuff. Mm. Um, but it's three seasons in only now am I beginning to feel that I've got a map of the territory um, and something that isn't heard on the podcast but which is very audible within my own skull is the sound of a penny dropping <laughs> you know, I had that in the most recent one evolutionary psychology um, when I could kind of make the link between that and the cognitivists and short term memory and long term memory and so on link that back to Darwin's discovery Suddenly, that just opened up a whole web of of, of connections and the, the beginnings of a dim light of understanding of what what this stuff is all about. So, I, I think the strategy for learning has to be kind of an an apprehension, an understanding, if you like, of the thing that you're engaging with and and how contradictory, confusing, rich, sprawling, um, and and interesting this this field is because. Another thing is I found it's kind of pulled into the web things, a lot of stuff I knew already. I mean, I knew who William James was because he was the brother of Henry James. I did an English degree, so of course, you know, Henry James is. Uh, and, and you find links between Henry James and, and other people, the Marshall, McL Marshall McLuhan stuff. There's the theory of media. Uh, I've read some Plato, read a lot of French philosophy, and Donald has had lunch with Jack Derrida. And that comes into it. A lot of stuff has come into Great Minds on Learning. I just didn't know belonged there. Mm. But I, th I think it's like when you when you when you kind of learn about any other of the great disciplines that we might learn at a, at a university. You know, science, biology, um, 
literature, economics, whatever, each of those is a lens through which you can see the whole world and you can find links into other disciplines. Uh, and learning is um, exactly like that. It's one of those. It's not limited to Gagné's nine um, events of instruction or, you know, God help us, your VAC learning styles. You know, there isn't one thing like that that's going to do it for you. Mm. It's a lifelong journey um, uh, and a very en enriching one. And the ambition you should have for is, is for your own learning, but also for the elevation of your profession to where it rightly belongs as at the heart of driving modern economies. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, John, as we, uh, as we look to wrap up, if people wish to connect with you or follow your work, how best can they do so? Well, hopefully, if they can't find me on LinkedIn and Twitter, then I'm going to have a word with my social media person <laughs> all over the place. And, you know, it might, I struggle not to be a spam merchant. On the other hand, we want people to know about this stuff. We have a website. It's been in preparation for about a year. We're shortly to launch. Um, hopefully, it'll be as nice as your own, David. Um, and that can be a, a, a repository for you know not only getting to to all the podcasts and all the great minds on learning but as time goes on we want to develop putting more resources in, into that as well um and i'm going to give you an exclusive heads up here that we will be starting a, a, a patreon so that people can join in and get diff different levels of um access to material in 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 stuff like great minds on learning um and and and, and to kind of enrich those those links and also support us and keep the wall from the door wonderful uh we'll we'll put some links uh in the show notes uh, as well john and uh and look out for uh for, for what you've teased there uh but it's all left for me to say john is thank you very much for being a guest on the learning and development podcast it's been a pleasure and an honor there's so much to be gained from taking a broader and deeper interest in learning especially when it comes to learning from the past smart people critically assessing what's come before is always going to be useful and ensure we progress as a profession. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you could tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn, for which you'll find the links in the show notes again. Goodbye for now. <laughs>